Chapter Three of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone by Max Brand. Chapter Three At Stillwater. The true story, of course, was known almost at once, but since Ronicky Doone swore that he would tackle the first man who accused him of shooting down Bill Gregg, the talk was confined to whispers. In the meantime, Stillwater rejoiced in the possession of Ronicky Doone. Beyond one limited section of the mountain desert, he was not as yet known, but he had one of those personalities which are called electric. Whatever he did seemed greater because he, Ronicky Doone, had done it. Not that he had done a great many things as yet, but there was a peculiar feeling in the air that Ronicky Doone was capable of great and strange performances. Men older than he were willing to accept him as their leader, men younger than he idolized him. Ronicky Doone, then, the admired of all beholders, is leaning in the doorway of Stillwater's second and best hotel. His bandana today is a terrific yellow, set off with crimson half-moon and stars strewn liberally on it. His shirt is merely white, but it is given some significance by having nearly half of a red silk handkerchief falling out of the breast pocket. His sombrero is one of those works of art which Mexican families pass from father to son, only his was new and had not yet received that limp effect of age. And, like the gaudiest Mexican headpiece, the band of this sombrero was of purest gold, beaten into the forms of various saints. Ronicky Doone knew nothing at all about saints, but he approved very much of the animation of the martyrdom scenes, and felt reasonably sure that his hat-band could not be improved upon in the entire length and breadth of Stillwater, and the young men of the town agreed with him, to say nothing of the girls. They also admired his riding-gloves, which, a strange affectation in a country of buckskin, were always the softest and smoothest and most comfortable kid that could be obtained." Truth to tell, he did not handle a rope. He could not tell the noose end of a lariat from the straight end, hardly. Neither did Ronicky Doone know the slightest thing about barbed wire, except how to cut it when he wished to ride through. Let us look closely at his hands themselves, as Ronicky stands in the door of the hotel and stares at people walking by, for he has taken off his gloves, and he now rolls a cigarette. They are very long hands. The fingers are extremely slender and tapering. The wrists are round, and almost as innocent of sinews as the wrists of a woman. Save when he grips something, and then how they stand out. But most remarkable of all, the skin of the palms of those hands is amazingly soft. It is truly as soft as the skin of the hand of a girl. There were some who shook their heads when they saw those hands. There were some who inferred that Ronicky Doone was little better than a scapegrace, and that, in reality, he had never done a better or more useful thing than handle cards or swing a revolver, in both of which arts it was admitted that he was incredibly dexterous. As a matter of fact, since there was no estate from which he drew an income, and since he had never been known in the entire history of his young life to do a single stroke of productive work of any kind, the bitter truth was that Ronicky Doone was no better and no worse than a common gambler. 
Indeed, if to play a game of chance was to commit a sin, Ronicky Doone was a very great sinner. Yet it should be remarked that he lacked the fine art of taking the money of other less clever fellows when they were intoxicated, and he also lacked the fine hardness of mind which enables many gamblers to enjoy taking the last cent from an opponent. Also, though he knew the entire list of tricks in the repertoire of a crooked gambler, he had never been known to employ tricking. He trusted in a calm head, a quick judgment, an ability to read character. And, though he occasionally met with crooked professionals who were wolves in the guise of sheep, no one had ever been known to play more than one crooked trick at cards when playing against Ronicky Doone. So on the whole, he made a very good living. What he had, he gave or threw away in wild spending or loaned to friends, of whom he had a vast number, all of which goes to explain the soft hands of Ronicky Doone and his nervous, swift-moving fingers as he stood at the door of the hotel. For he who plays long with cards or dice begins to have a special sense developed in the tips of his fingers, so that they seem to be independent intelligences. He crossed his feet. His boots were the finest leather, bench made by the best bootmakers, and they fitted the high arched instep with the elastic smoothness of gloves. The man of the mountain desert dresses the extremities, and cares not at all for the midsections. The moment Dune was off his horse, those boots had to be dressed, and rubbed, and polished to softness and brightness before this luxurious gambler would walk about town. From the heel of the boots extended a long pair of spurs. Surely a very great vanity, for never in her life had his beautiful mare, Lou, needed even a touch of a spur. But Ronicky Dune could not give up this touch of luxury. The spurs were plated heavily with gold, and they swept up and out in a long, exquisite curve, the hub of the row set with diamonds. In a word, Ronicky Doone was a dandy, but he had this peculiarity that he seemed to dress to please himself rather than the rest of the world. His glances never roved about taking account of the admiration of others. As he leaned there in the door of the hotel, he was the type of the young, happy, genuine, carefree fellow, whose mind is no heavier with a thousand dollars or a thousand cents in his pocket. Suddenly he started from his lounging place, caught his hat more firmly over his eyes, threw away his unlighted cigarette, and hurried across the veranda of the hotel. He had seen an enemy to chastise, or an old friend to greet, or a pretty girl? No. It was only old Judd Harding, the blacksmith, whose hand had lost its strength, but who still worked iron as others mold putty simply because he had the genius for his craft. He was staggering now under a load of boards which he was shouldering to carry to his shop. In a moment that load was shifted to the shoulder of Ronicky Doone, and then they went down the street, laughing and talking, until the load was dropped on the floor of Harding's shop. "'And how's the sick feller coming?' asked Harding." "'Coming fine,' answered Ronicky. "'Couple of days, and I'll have him out for a little exercise. "'Lucky thing it was a clean wound, and didn't nick the bone. "'Soon as it's healed over, he'll never know he was plugged.' "'Harding considered his young friend with twinkling eyes. "'Queer thing to me,' he said, "'is how you and this gent Greg have hit it off so well together. "'Might almost say it was like you'd shot Greg, "'and now you was trying to make up for it. "'But of course that ain't the truth.' "'Of course not,' said Ronicky, gravely, and met the eye of Harding without faltering. "'Another queer thing,' went on the cunning old smith. 
He was foolin' with his gun while he was in the saddle, which just means that the muzzle must have been pretty close to his skin. But there wasn't any sign of a powder burn, the doc says. But his trousers was pretty bad burned, I guess, said Ronicky. Hm, said the blacksmith. That's the first time I've heard about it. He went on more seriously. I've got something to tell you, Ronicky. Ever hear the story about the gent that took pity on the snake that was stiff with cold and brought the snake in to warm him up beside the fire? The minute the snake come to life, he sunk his fangs into the gent that had saved him. Meaning, said Ronicky, that because I've done a good turn for Greg, I'd better look out for him? Meaning nothing, said Harding, except that the reason the snake bit the gent was because he'd had a stone heaved at him by the same man one day, and he hadn't forgotten. But Ronicky Doone merely laughed and turned back toward the hotel. End of chapter 3